0: AI has been part of our culture for so long, you know, through science fiction, through movies, through comic books, everything else, every type of media, uh, you know, we've encountered something to do with AI, a story around AI. So we kind of understand it from a cultural perspective, which is why the adoption of it has been so rapid, because it has literally been the first time that a cultural tech culturally impactful technology has been accessible to everybody at the same time. You saw, touched on a really interesting point about almost almost content mediocrity in a way or, or the churning out of more mediocre content because it can be automated to the point where you know everybody is talking like Gary Vaynerchuk um, on LinkedIn and every post sounds exactly the same, because we're all using ChatGPT to generate it. Um, and, and it just gets into this kind of sort of vicious cycle, and then at some point, some will have the epiphany and go, oh, now maybe, if, what if I wrote this myself? And then dis- rediscovers their voice, actually has more weight and credence than this thing that actually spits out almost perfect coffee, but is sanitized and has no soul in a sense. I think we're quite happy to accept the dystopian image because it's been portrayed in science fiction and Black Mirror and been fed to us all the time and we're all like tutting away going, oh this is terrible but it's happening around us and we seem to want to just let it happen because we have this perception that we can't do anything to change the course. Well of course we can, there's 8 billion of us who who can change um, the course of, of what's going on and I think it's just a case of, you know, now's AI might be that galvanizing point, like it is with so many of the converging <laughs> discussions that we've had. Where one of those convergent threads is we have 8 billion people who might actually stand up and go, Well, I don't actually like this. I like to use the tool and I want it to be, but I want it to be used for good. Along with, I don't really like capitalism or extreme capitalism any, anymore. I want to make money a different way. I want to add and contribute to society. I want to help that person over there. And they help the next person we pay forward, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Welcome back to Invisible Machines today, Rob. We are, we're having a conversation with a futurist and an author, Theo Priestley. Uh, he and co-author Bronwyn Williams uh, kind of curated this book called The Future Starts Now. It has some of their ideas and then they, they curated essays or chapters from, from leading futurists, all over the globe to kind of get a full and diverse uh, vision of, of what the future might look like. And one thing I think that really stuck out to me as I was listening to the book on audio is that a lot of being a futurist isn't just sort of sitting back and thinking about the future. It's actually finding ways that you can engage and identify uh, points where you can make an, make an impact and try and guide the world towards the future that you think uh, would be most equitable or, or favorable. Uh, so so it really got me excited because I kind of realized that in writing a book, Age of Invisible Machines, right. that was kind of an expression of of, uh, of futurism right there.
2: Right. Yeah. It's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You, mm-hmm. t- you, you tell the future, you evangelize the future, and the future becomes what you predicted. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> interesting. It's easier for folks. Like Elon Musk, I imagine, <laughs> who have a lot more resources, <laughs> make it happen. Um, he's his own futurist, right? Uh, and yeah, my my dad joke here is, you know, what? Who is a futurist that now lives in the future that they predicted? And that's an interesting conversation because we're here, and things are moving so fast that futurists find themselves in the present before people even read their prediction of what was going to happen. So there yeah. it was a futurist that, that is now in the present <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, of what they predicted. Uh, and, and yeah, it's so hard now for them to, to think about what the future calls with so much convergence of technology between, you know, things like blockchain and, you know AI, conversational AI, machine learned. You know algorithms. Um, you know biotech. Uh, you know just the list goes on and on and on. Longevity. Um, yeah. There's so many different components. Self-driving cars. Like you yeah, try to you put it all like, together.
1: Uh, yeah, you can add like societal things and and climate change, right. and all those things to the mix. They all play into these.
2: And whenever you talk to any of the experts in these fields, they tend to, to look at them in a static world. You know, they sort of imagine that the things around that invention will stay the same and, and their invention or their idea or their idea of that technology in the future is the only changing thing. So if some, if I was talking to an expert in teleportation, which I don't even know if such an expert exists, but, um, if I were to talk to one I think they would say, you know, uh, you could wake up in the morning and teleport uh, to to the bathroom next to your room without getting out of bed, just instantly arrive, um, and then teleport to your car, you know, which we really don't need anymore, right? And <laughs> and then you go, wait, like you don't need a car, so you're not going to be teleporting there. They they may get that, right? That that cars are unnecessary. But what they may not fully understand is by then the home changes. And we may just have a building somewhere with just bathrooms in it. (laughs) And then, and then our, our room where we sleep might be on the top of a mountain somewhere and we're going to teleporting to the bathroom is probably teleporting to an available bathroom somewhere, you know, the bottom of the mountain, not this whole concept of a house disappears and. And we just have bedrooms that we share. So it's just some of these these convergences of, of technology changes so dramatically the things around it that it's really hard to predict a future um in that world. I think we i I've made this joke before in Star Trek when you know, when when the captain or, or somebody on the crew is, is on a planet and they're like, Beam me up, hurry up, Scotty, and he's like running as fast as he can to get to the, the,
1: <laughs> the one room the, where you can,
2: <laughs> the one room that you can beam them up and hit the button. And meanwhile, like they have a talking computer, <laughs> <because> Yes. <Yeah>. They, <laughs> yeah. they, they literally are talking to it. Um, so why is he running? Right. It's because like, we don't know how to understand the world in when, when everything around it also changes. Um, well, I think so we also like we
1: like pressing buttons. We get into that with Theo too, right? <laughs> it's just right. like pressing I mean, buttons, we want that that safety. <laughs> that, that's my that's my button. I push that button.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Give me the give me the button to push to save the day. I want to be the hero. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, you know, teleportation would if you really just consider that one invention that's pro, you know, that's projected in. In a television show, um, as a you know, as a future state, would change so much of that show, you know, in terms of how yeah. people get around, um, that half of what they do makes no sense, given that that one thing exists. Let alone all the other things, um, like talking computers and everything else that's going on. So it's, I think, being a futurist, you know. It, it it's a super super tough thing to to triangulate at this moment um and i i am interested to hear his approach to how he pulls that off
1: yeah yeah when you have all these overlapping convergences it, it becomes very tricky and i think another right. takeaway that i that i got from the future starts now is that part of being a futurist isn't just like maybe fine tuning your one perfect future it, it's sort of like conversational design right you you don't just fine-tune this one thing that you think will work you're trying to imagine as many futures as possible and then right, uh, right. i guess i guess touching on something i think ovetta brought up in episode nine maybe this idea that like if you if you're anticipating you should design um bad outcomes too at least in your head you know right Be thinking right. about right. the worst right. possible ways they can things can turn out so the work of the futurist is very similar to the work of a designer in a way in that you're or at least if you're yeah. doing design holistic. Yeah,
2: I guess that's a really good point. They're not telling. They're not fortune tellers. Mm-hmm. They're not. I guess we. A lot of us hear that they're fortune tellers, but really, futurists um, that are, you know that that are taking it seriously are just really mapping the the many possible outcomes. It's almost like an economist, right? Mm-hmm. They're predicting the 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 you know multiple outcomes um, that that could happen based on different, you know, moving different levers and, and then, then looking at those, those different outcomes and kind of calculating a, a safe green Spanish position to say, well, if we do this, it suits the the largest number of outcomes. So yeah, I I think that's a really good point that futurists don't try to tell the future as much as they try to create multiple possible futures. Um, Yeah. And then build consensus and, and momentum yeah.
1: towards the ones yeah. that seem like the most favorable well, outcomes. So,
2: well, let's let let's let him tell us. Let's hear from him. Uh, yeah, shall let's we? Go to
1: Theo. <laughs> All right, Rob. Good to see you, Theo. Theo, excuse me. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Uh, yeah. You know, one of the things that we were really excited to uh, to talk with you about, uh, as What's we were your thinking, your purple
2: of- house coat in the back there.
1: Oh, is there a purple house coat? Can you see it? <laughs> Just love be thankful
0: it. it's a purple house coat and it's not a cat, cat litter tree. <laughs> Seriously, I have a cat litter tree in here as well as cat trees and everything else. But oh yeah,
1: it's it's nice to see a cat kind of climbing around in the background. If you if you want to oh, they're, adjust they're... your camera angle at any time, feel free.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. People love love cats online. That's the thing, right? <laughs>
1: So, as Rob and I were discussing uh, your the book, uh, "The Future Starts Now," this week, we realized we're really excited to chat with you about the idea of convergence and how uh, it seems like a central piece of futurism is kind of wrapping your head around these convergences that are always kind of occurring. And I think even right now we have like a a writers' strike happening in Hollywood Hmm. at a a moment where generative AI. Is showing that it's quite nimble at creating things. I, I saw a post recently on LinkedIn from uh, a UX magazine contributor, and he had—he's uh, he, a Trekkie—and so he had had ChatGPT write and refine uh, a script for for an episode of Star Trek. And he, you know, he admitted it wasn't great, but it was decent, and that was not even that mm-hmm. much work. And then he he also made the point that you know a lot of studio executives, you know, they're they're constantly giving writers notes. And, you know writers often give pushback which i mm. think is a good thing generally but from a studio executive's point of view you know if you can just give chat gpt notes and see the changes right away you could see how that would be alluring and disruptive uh not a not an outcome i'd consider ideal as someone who's been writing for 25 years and understands a bit about the nuance there but do you do you feel like convergences like that are, are the kind of things that that go into to being kind of a nimble futurist like keeping your eye on things like that and Thinking about those things,
0: yeah. I mean, I, I I take a broad view, and when I when I look at convergence, I look at other, um, I look at you know several industries, and then I look at several different trends as well. The way my head works is like, yeah, you know, if you're we talking about cats earlier, it's like a bag of cats, and they're <laughs> all scrabbling around with uh, a, a <laughs> bit of string or several bits of string, and and I like to tug on different strings. To see if there's actually you know a common you know a common thread in a way, um, and so AI um, is obviously the big hot topic just now. But AI can impact several industries, but several other trends that we've been living through already, like you know metaverse, Web three, blockchain, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so when we talk about convergence, I like to think of it as an amalgamation of several different kind of emerging trends that could intertwine eventually and, and all lead off in the, in the same direction. Um, but AI right now, in terms of that, is is almost like it's, it's tugging on some of these already, especially in the creative industry. You know, we've seen people using it for copywriting, you know, script writing, they're exploring um, generative art. You know, people are using it to, to create artwork. Um, but of course, we have to be mindful of, where the training came from and the training came from existing ip um so there's lots of questions that need to be answered before we start converging on other things as well
1: yeah so true and, and it's interesting too because um i mean I, I think i was maybe envisioning enterprise leading the charge on on using ai and kind of inserting it into our daily lives but with chat gpt coming out you're seeing more people experimenting yeah. with this technology than than enterprise is and uh, or is at the moment and um, I, I think the term AI too we talk about it a lot on this podcast is so broad and encompasses so many things it almost represents a, a bit of convergence so if you if you add this layer of AI on top of everything else going on lots of strings
0: yeah I mean we've been living with AI for years decades you know and even the concept is nothing new and I think it's mm-hmm. one of these And I think, and I was on a, I was on a podcast earlier, and we were talking about, oh, why is this, why does this feel different, versus the, you know, the the advent of the car or the industrial revolution. And I think it's because AI has been part of our culture for so long, you know, through science fiction, through movies, through comic books, everything else, every type of media, uh, you know, we've encountered something to do with AI, a story around AI, so we. Kind of understand it from a cultural perspective, which is why the adoption of it has been so rapid. Because it has literally been the first time that a cultural, te- culturally impactful technology has been accessible to everybody at the same time. Um, and I think that has added to the the hype, but also added to the massive scale and the rapid success of the of, of the adoption that we've seen over the last sort of six months. I mean, this thing came out obviously it' had been worked on for a number of years but there was a the, the, the commercial the commercial release was what October November for J- chat GPT3 and then you had 3.5 which was the turbo version and now four it's less than six months and yet look at what how the how the adoption rate you've got people average people thinking about it then you've got the ado- you know the adoption in the enterprise every single facet of Industry is looking at this going what can I do with this? you know, in my daily life or as an exec, how can I put this in my business to make it run faster, to do be more efficient, et cetera, et cetera. And of
2: course there's the
0: impact on jobs as a result of that.
2: Yeah. When I look back and think, you know, God, Josh, like three years ago, when we were starting to write the book, we were talking about generative AI and large language models and how they were going to change everything. And, um, and we look at, you know, GPT-3 that got released in APIs. So, you know, chat GPT itself, you know, was, was, was really just like an evolution for open AI. It wasn't, wasn't like a, a revolution for them yeah. um, and for us, right. Um, and as we were talking about this coming, uh, you know, we're telling people like, Hey, this is going to change everything. This is coming. It's huge. It's blah, blah, blah. Um, and and you almost feel yourself hesitating because like the hyperbole that you hear yourself saying right in in terms of listening through the ears of of people that are you know that you're talking to you sort of start toning it down you're almost afraid to to express the like <laughs> the gravity of what's coming Damn. um and because you look like a crazy person and and so we write it in a book and and then finally it gets released and then it gets released in APIs and, and then then there's a subset of developers like, whoa, this is pretty this is a pretty big deal, but still nobody really truly believes yet, because they've been lied to so many times on AI in terms yeah. of like meeting expectation. Then finally Chat GPT comes out, they put an interface so that, you know, the rest of the world can try it. And then and then you sort of feels like a moment of discovery for the world when it really was an evolution for most of us that are in this space. And it's almost like you realize, yeah, they didn't believe me. <laughs> you know? they did. Okay. I was right. They didn't believe me because once they put their hands on it, they're like, oh my God, this is going to change everything. And you're like, that's what I've been saying. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and you're like, okay, so clearly you didn't believe me when I said it. And I And I think there's just there's just been so many false starts, so much promise, yeah. and then not living up to the hype. Um, and I heard—I don't remember what podcast I was listening to, but I heard, I heard them talking about this, and I and I and I really agree. It was this idea that, um, that there's a lot of things like blockchain that people come out and they'll talk about, especially like like you know, crypto currency. Yeah. And they'll say this is going to change everything but then you look around and it and it's not you know it's not it's it's it's, it's a promise right but then you look Shh. at ai and you go it it's already changing things right like we're not talking about it's going to It it is it's happening right around us it's being used um, broadly and and so we're not we're not future casting at this point we're just looking at little pockets of the world and how they're using it and then just sharing it with the other pockets that just haven't caught up yet um and so I, i i just wonder if if there's like a cognitive dissonance on some folks that just are still in disbelief but the rest um that now are like okay so this is what you really meant um this is really gonna change now that i get my hands on it uh and and now now we go what's next like now that people believe it um do they hesitate do they do they go forward are we going to see folks that that pull back and folks that move forward and and what what does that mean to the folks that that sort of embrace and go to the front edge and what does that mean for those who hold back and wait for others
0: a good question i mean i'm a couple of so a couple of things spring to mind here. One is that obviously getting ahead is is useful. I think in the short term, understanding how how to use this technology is almost like job protection in a way, or, or certainly protecting yourself in terms of your career, in terms of you know your your own standing and and where you are. Because you know if you you know they say you know uh, um, is not going to replace your job, someone else is using AI. Yeah, very good, uh, very quotable i'm sure right right yeah um nothing like fear to
2: get people going (laughs) well exactly yeah
0: yeah and i think it is useful up to a point once you understand how to use it in the correct way um and and in the context of your own job and things like that um what the the flip side of that is of course that um in the longer term what we have what we're seeing is people using this to uh, this is almost like unpaid user acceptance testing and free research and development for all these yeah. for open ai because you know you have all the developers really pushing hard and trying to break it and then seeing what it's capable of you know obviously baby agi and auto gpt spawning all these hundreds of little ai subroutine agents doing little subtasks and things and it just shows well wow, this is re- you know i if i can break my job down into these mini tasks how easy is it going to be to essentially <laughs> you know, to become so productive or 10, 10x product you know pr- productivity etc whereas my boss is thinking keep training that AI because I don't have to pay you anymore. Um, that's, <laughs> you know um, and I think that that's the that's the flip side here is that you know as uh, as people become more okay with it you're adding just more levels of complexity that the AI is able to understand and you more nuance in order to basically take that job away. And be automated. Right. So I'm I'm really with you, Rob. On the yeah, we knew it was coming, and we told you so. But we've had so many false starts. You know, you had the IBM Watson thing, yeah. And, and I think that this is you know you had IBM Watson. You had the the promise of robotic process automation RPA. You had the old BPMs tools. You know, all those process orchestration tools, case management tools, all that all that kind of stuff. But it was it was still, and it was always like, oh, we've got algorithms, we've got AI, and we know how to push work around. But it it was always pushing work around. It wasn't actually completing the work with very minimal effort involved. I mean, RPA, robotic process automation, sounds like it should have been AI in a way. But really, while it was screen scraping data and shifting it around from one thing to another. Whereas GPT and auto GPT and baby AGI and all these tools show that you can actually get things done by a simple command and that should, you know, and that's the trigger point. Like you say, we've been saying it for years. We had so many false starts and now it's here. It's caught everybody on the hop. And, and again, like you were saying, the, the development community has jumped on this and I think, and again, it goes back to my point about, yeah, we've seen the industrial revolution and yes, we've seen cars and planes Mm -hmm. and things nothing has hit and I'll, I'll quote the film title everything everywhere
2: all at once because that's what this has done right <laughs> right 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 right. yeah there's a it's like the new coding language is language and uh. um, and now we're we're discovering and figuring out who's best wired to program in this new world is it that programming logic mentality that we've all learned as programmers, is it linguists, you know, who's, who's the one suited now, uh, um, to kind of, you know, you say it's not, you know, people might say it, it, doesn't require code, but it is that, that prompting is essentially code. It's just written in language and we sort of yep. disregard it cause it's not, you know, technically a coding language, but it's, but it really technically is. It's still instruction to the machine uh, and then, even though it might, it might be vague instruction to the machine, you know, not, not this sort of direct instruction. But I think a lot of people aren't aware of the fact that, and you said it, you know, we've released this technology out or, um, or OpenAI with ChatGPT released it out there to see what happens. Like it's a, it's a giant experiment, right? Um, and, and their logic makes sense to me, which is let's see what happens now when all it can do is generate text. Right? right? It can't even tell time. And most people don't know that. Like you go to chat GPT and you ask it what time it is, it's just going to, it's just going to hallucinate and give you an <laughs> answer that, that somehow resembles the common answer to that question across all of the data that's been sucked in. So, so what's the, what's the most common um, response to what time is it, what time is it is what you're gonna get not not the time, certainly not the time where it is because it isn't anywhere it's sort of on a server somewhere um and it's and it's definitely not the time where you are when you're asking. So you look at this thing and you go, I can't even tell time. you know it's a long way away from from you know taking over the world, but at the same time we see it, Taking over jobs, and you said RPA, and I I like that as a as an example because RPA to me Shh. is automating the tasks that people should have never been doing in the first place. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's like copying <laughs> from us Excel spreadsheet over to some interface, and you're thinking like, you pay somebody to do this? <laughs> this shouldn't exist. Like this shouldn't be a job. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah, <laughs> that's it should have never existed as a job. Um, I, I don't know who. Who loves that activity and, you know, who cherishes that. (laughs) I can't wait to go to work and hit copy, paste, copy, paste for (laughs) an hour and a half. Um, (laughs) So I'm pretty sure that RPA kind of is a great example of some of the jobs we just really ought to not be doing. And there is that category of stuff we should be doing and stuff we shouldn't be doing. And I think that kind of you know, brings up this idea of, if right now we're just generating text essentially, and Hmm. that that is some people's jobs, generating text. And, and we can all agree that it does a decent job. I I don't know if you've experienced this. I have, when I go into Chat GPT, I type in a prompt, I get like a paragraph. I'm surprised how good it is. I'm like, Hmm. wow, that's, that's amazing. I paste it into you know, a document somewhere. I, I sleep for, you know, I I go to sleep, wake up the next morning. I read it again. I'm like, actually, it's not that good. It's just okay. Why did I think it was so good yesterday? And now today I just kind of read it and I'm like, (laughs) it's actually just okay. Right. And I think I got like swept up in this, in the expectation that it was going to suck. It, it, it sucked a lot less than I expected it to suck. So I thought it was really good. Then I pasted it and the next morning I woke up, looked at it as if I had written it, judged it and said, yeah, it's just okay. And so so does it mean that it's gonna take, you know, jobs of creating mediocrity away, like basic things that, I don't know, you could argue shouldn't even be written in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that still those exceptional creative, you know, just cre- those creative moments still you know still exist and still will require humans um and therefore all we're really talking about is just up leveling the quality of work that humans do you know versus replacing it Mm. like does our taste go up do we expect more from customer service than we're getting not expect the same for cheaper right um i don't know what are your thoughts there in terms it's interesting of, you say the bar or keep the bar
0: where it is and just make it cheaper? I think, I think this is going to be dependent on where it's being used because I've already seen copywriters, for example, claiming that their clients are now accepting good enough from ChatGPT because it saves them money. And so we might be in this kind of, again, short-term experimental phase where um, it's it, it makes people either redundant or it reduces their earnings capacity because clients are, are, or businesses are trying it out to see what they can get away with um for how long now you saw, touched on a really interesting point about almost almost content mediocrity in a way or, or the churning out of more mediocre content because it can be automated to the point where you know everybody is talking like Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, <laughs> on LinkedIn, and every post sounds exactly the same because we're all using ChatGPT to generate it, um, and and it just gets into this kind of sort of vicious cycle. And then at some point, someone will have the epiphany and go, "Oh, now maybe if, what if I wrote this myself?" And then dis- <laughs> rediscovers their voice actually has more weight and credence than this thing that actually spits out almost perfect coffee, but is sanitized and has no soul in a sense you know right. i went to um you know i went to the um a concert hall in, in edinburgh and we watched the um royal and i always get this wrong right royal, royal scottish national orchestra do video game themes which was great okay. for a couple of hours um, and I and i was actually sitting there thinking now could an ai compose a theme um and from brand new could I get it to compose a theme and I would feel the exactly same emotions as I would listening to this and then would I feel the exact same emotions watching robots perform their instruments and things like that and I think the answer is no the answer is no because well one watching an orchestra or watching people do their craft gives you a sense of an emotional response because you're seeing someone who pours their passion their heart and soul into doing something um and then there's an output and it stirs you um and and i think that's potentially our saving grace here especially in the creative side of things whereas we we are still a spark of creation you know at this point in time you know i have to say at this point in time until maybe ask me this question in 10 years time obviously (laughs) um, but at this point in time there is no spark of Creativity from ChatGPT and everything else because You're still having to do all the work like you say You're still using a language To instruct a computer to do something To get an output right. Doesn't matter what the black box Does at the end of the day the spark Still comes from you and you're telling it to do Something and there might be yeah, a bit I... of iteration But you're still Kind of driving right. the wheel
2: you're there. The car. I, was, I was like I was in Boulder a while ago and you know they have those street performers, and there's a guy who's balancing a bowling pin on his nose, right? Okay. And I'm sitting there. You know, everyone, they, they, you know, everyone's kind of gathering around, like, "Wow, this guy's balancing a bowling pin on his nose." And there's just just a moment where I'm like, "Why does anyone care about this? Why do I care about this? Like, <laughs> you know, why am I stopped here? Why, why am I actually entertained by this?" And I, and I think it comes down to the fact that at the core of of other human beings, what we admire is 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 this sort of um, self-discipline, right? When we see self-discipline in other people, mm-hmm. I think we tend to admire. It's, it's that universal quality that we tend to admire in everyone, you know? We go to the Olympics and, and we don't just see them racing. What we see behind it is the self-discipline that it took to train and be that fast, right? Uh, when we see somebody that's that's, you know, ripped and fit, like what we see is the self-discipline that it took for them to get there. And and we admire it because it's something that we admire in ourselves is and we're proud of our own self-discipline, you know, when we're able to kind of overcome our need to want to sit in the couch and play video games right all the time. So <laughs> so so yeah like seeing a robot do it you don't there's no self-discipline behind that there's nothing to admire right there's there's the engineering that went into creating that thing that we admire but that's fleeting you know you see it you're wow that's amazing but you move on you you don't want to see it over and over again whereas we're willing to see that self-discipline in each person right it's like wow imagine how much they had to practice to get that bowling pin to to balance on their nose and I only know this from having tried to balance things on my nose before (laughs) (laughs) that's really hard he must (laughs) have he must have really practiced for a long time and in some way I'm I'm mesmerized by the fact that he actually decided to spend that much time trying to do something so ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah I don't want to see a robot balancing a bowling pin on its nose I wouldn't I wouldn't be interested in that Uh, and I think we'll always be in admiration of other people's self-discipline and, and we'll always see that behind the act that they took. But, um, but when we see somebody do something like, you know, that's fairly mediocre, mediocre in nature, that didn't essentially require a high level of discipline or talent, then I think we're, you know, we're not that we're not that interested in that. And that's, Uh that tends to be the quality of output that, that we see because it's the, you know it's the it's the amalgamation of all of this text across the internet it's 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 not you know it, it doesn't demonstrate you know one human being and the amount of sacrifice that they put into creating something yeah. um so what in in my mind it there's just a strong likelihood that it just says everyone's got to raise the bar on self-discipline right you know they've got to. There, there, there's going to be no cheap tricks anymore <laughs> yeah, if that makes any sense um, but I, you know who's to say that um, that that's not going to have consequences so I, maybe what I'm saying is you got to maybe we got to separate how I'm going to make money from how I'm going to live and push myself and okay. push my limits you know and do those two things need to coincide and, and do we just really need to address the how I'm going to make money part of all of this um so if you
0: so the how I'm how I'm going to make money right so if you look at where we are today and then probably let, if we let's project forward for 10 years say 5-10 years when this thing is actually very very good at what it does um and it's cross industry and you have you know the 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 mass employment that's been projected by various reports, WEF and uh, Goldman Sachs and things like that, you know. Then, then we do get into a situation where we're right, right. How do we make money? How do these people make money who have lost their jobs? And the thing is, as well, is that you are you are removing um, low level white collar work that has been purely digital or digitalized and it's very low effort. But also, I think a middle tier of gl- of high paid middle management who don't really do much and don't really add much value. let's put it that way. Um, So you have two sections of working class society and white collar society that could potentially be disrupted quite heavily. And that's that's a large financial hit, and it's a large taxation hit. And of course, people go, let's implement UBI to, to save people from getting jobs. Well, UBI's nobody's going to want to pay the high paid middle management large amounts of UBI. As so, if... the, so they'll complain the loudest, probably. Um, so we have UBI, and then it's like, oh, let's tax, let's put a robot tax on people who use uh, high automation and AI. Well, that's not going to work either. I mean, nobody's really going to want to pay more tax because the the idea of saving money through headcount to impact your bottom line in a better way is going to be completely removed from a capitalist mentality by adding more tax on top of it. So it starts to bring into question, in a sense, if we are removing all these bullshit jobs in a a way, why do we need to add more bullshit jobs to fill that time? Right. So, okay. So then that starts to question, well, is our society structured in the right way to allow people to make money, do things that add value to society and civilization, and still enjoy life rather than existing the way we do just now and so when sam altman kind of sort of said oh AI is going to break capitalism you know it, it sounds like a throwaway comment and I don't I don't trust the guy as far as I could throw him anyway but <laughs> if you sit down and think about it and you think about so and this goes back to the convergence conversation right in the beginning which is right. AI could AI can trigger some kind of convergence in the way we look at society we look at how people make money and we look at how people, how we support people. And that's, that's a really interesting thing that could happen as a result, but it's not, it's not going to happen without pain
1: when it kind yeah, of I dovetails I... with, uh, with the pandemic, really. I mean, people coming out of the pandemic, I feel like a lot of people were not really eager to go back to the old way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife is a hairstylist, And she, she made the comment this morning that she felt like, uh, the, the pandemic kind of tore a hole in hustle culture because in hairstyling, especially like the more you work, the more money you can make, you know, people's entire Instagram presences are kind of based around this idea that they never stop working. Mm -hmm. But it seems like that, that kind of thinking is now fundamentally flawed to a lot of people. Like they, instead of consuming more, maybe we want to experience more and we want to like be more responsible with our choices and not spend all of our time trying to beat a machine at copy and pasting.
2: Yeah, I love that idea of of like, like let's look at a job. So my job is to copy and paste, right? Like RPA eventually replaces my job and now I'm sad because I can't copy paste all day. But what's happening, right, in that scenario is somebody else is going, well, don't worry, right? Let's just say, my boss says, don't worry, I, I have automated copy and paste, but I'll pay you anyway, right? That's a <laughs> universal income, but I'll pay you anyway. And he's like, well, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> I got to earn it. But it was ridiculous what you were doing. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Come on. You're paying me to copy and paste from one screen to another. I've automated it. Now you're going to pay me to not move a mouse and and do this all day, right? And it comes to like my kids looking at at what i do and like what's your dad do well he presses buttons oh like yeah in a certain order and every day he just presses buttons
1: <laughs> in a different order
2: <laughs> <laughs> and you're like well he's earning his money <laughs> like barely <laughs> barely <laughs> you know i'm not i'm not in a coal mine you know i'm barely <laughs> earning my money so now I don't have to press those buttons, you know, something else is pressing for me. Now I'm just watching buttons getting pressed. It is it really a leap, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Now I'm getting paid to 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 not. If you actually measured in calories, I'm not sure. I'm not sure you could. (laughs) Like how much how many calories is it when my hands are are still on my keyboard versus (laughs) like actually pressing buttons. Um but which so when you take it down to that, like this is this seems crazy that that you would pay someone not to copy and paste like it seems like yeah we've really got to step back and say i think the ultimate question for you um as a as a futurist, talking to many different folks in many different areas to kind of figure out what this convergent looks like is if the future is you know is is that we're going to have you know ridiculous jobs that we get paid for, or the future is we're going to have no jobs that we get paid for. Um, and we all know that we have plenty of ridiculous jobs today. We get paid for, if we could admit Uh, that, I think we all can admit that we have ridiculous jobs today that we get paid for. Um, so what will we get paid for in the future? Uh, and, and is it just really about our imaginations and our ability to invent new jobs? you know the automation of the of of the espresso machine and home espresso was like the beginning of the barista not the end of it so so if you say that we've invented ai and people are going to be now creatively thinking of ways to automate what we do will there be an equal number of people inventing new jobs and new new ways to make money for ridiculous reasons
0: oh yeah it's for that i mean it's, like it's in our nature <laughs> Um uh, you know, the uh what was it? You know, the the WEF report says something like, Oh, there's gonna be twenty percent unemployment, but forty percent new jobs will appear out of nowhere. <laughs> and it's like and it goes goes back to my point is that we're now, you know, we're inventing jobs and job titles for the sake of finding something for people to do to keep them in a job <laughs> that they don't really like in the first place. <laughs> so it's it's not copy paste anymore. They'll just control, they'll call it control alt v or something like that yeah (laughs) engineer (laughs) (laughs) you know there's thick engineer to make it sound really cool but it's the same (laughs) job um and and i think that that's the mentality that we have to get out of is is not look for jobs again to keep people in a job it's it's find something that's worthwhile that will add and push society and civilization forward um we're not meant to sit in a cubicle all day processing mortgage applications and it doesn't matter how fast we do it and how much of it is automated and how much we have to manually check that kind of thing it's just a valueless job Um, and just calling it mortgage engineering or something else is not going (laughs) to help us in any way
2: my grandfather would have said that's not a job (laughs) 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 that's not a job (laughs) Yeah, well, it, I, it's, uh, I I always thought about like the future Uber ride, right? And you're like, so 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 maybe there's still a person in the car, but now it's do I want the sushi Uber because I'm kind of hungry and feel like sushi? And there there's just gonna be a guy with you know with a with a bandana around his head, and he's gonna be like making or 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 the you know Italian. Maybe the Italian ride. I feel like pizza, and he's got a pizza oven in there, and he's gonna make me pizza. Like, is that where this goes? Like, really? And and if I'm an Uber driver, I would rather make someone pizza and have a conversation over pizza than yeah. you know, than than sit there, you know, handling a, a circular wheel and you know drive hey, well, it, really it's, it's... autonomously. Well, even, even with autonomous
0: taxis, there's still a driver involved, isn't there? Because it's right. basically there just to make sure that he's, you're not gonna veer off in this oncoming traffic by mistake. Uh-huh. So you're babysitting the AI.
2: I'd you're love not, to do not an spilling analysis. Your pasta I wonder, yeah. yeah. I wonder if anyone's done an analysis <laughs> to see if like if like these drivers talk more. Uh, you know, if you're not doing anything, do you now feel a higher obligation to like <laughs> have a conversation how long what <laughs> you do really this for you're sitting there smiling like it feels awkward yeah. right like at least yeah. you get your hands on something or do they have fidgeters you know those fidget things that everybody seems to be crazy about like this <laughs> the dudes oh, yeah, hands are like well, i'm just fidgeting you know
1: <laughs> well it feels like the planet too is kind of asking us to slow down and stop demanding more all the time so yeah but really, it's such a fundamental shift in our thinking that's required to pry us away from uh, like, identifying ourselves on, a, on productivity alone and not like on the quality of our time, the quality of the time we spend with others, the quality of the things that we create. Yeah. So there is, it does feel like there is this maybe little sliver of an opportunity to create a society that is a little more balanced and where people aren't driving themselves mad doing stuff that they hate
0: but you, yeah they, well they, yeah, a good point there in terms of the quality, you know, I mean, people are obviously spending inordinate amounts of time creating stuff, you know, like YouTube streamers, twitch, TikTok, all this kind of sort of thing because we've now become obsessed and pretty well you know well distracted by creating content for the sake of it because it drives clicks and ad revenue and things like that. but again, what, what quality is that driving in terms of adding something back to society? Um, because, because that's, that's a great example of a bullshit job. It's just something that people do, but it actually doesn't yeah, really do anything at all.
2: Yeah. Maybe it's like, you know, my kids, when they were like two, we yeah. got them this It's like fake dashboard of a car, you know, it has like all these bells and whistles on it yep. a little horn in the middle, like it's colorful and big buttons. Like, maybe that's what they put in the car, right? So it doesn't do anything, but you just get to, like, sit there. You get and to play with it. Rest. Yeah. Look at me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> eh, eh. Yeah, exactly. I think that would it's work okay. for a lot of us. We'll still make it more well, yeah. useful.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: There's, like, a robot hand starts to pinch <laughs> yeah, you on exactly. the head as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: You've done chill. a really good job today. Yeah. <laughs> you parallel parked <laughs> so we have this um this idea in the book that, that uh that the real the real way for enterprise at least to make the most of kind of conversational ai is to is to embrace failure and know that they're gonna fall on their face and screw it up and that that's actually a huge part of the process yeah. It's kind of an extension of experience design really but it it feels in some ways like in terms of regulation that we're, we're following a similar trajectory. We're kind of waiting for something to go wrong and then figure out quickly how we can fix it. Is is there a better way? Or, or are we at a moment where things are moving so quickly and there are so many kind of surprise developments that we're kind of stuck in that position?
0: It feels like a runaway train and we're still on the little sort of um, hand cart. <laughs> thing trying to chase it to keep up yeah. um you know that you know ai and, and technology is on this bullet train and we're still you know in frontier town sort of doing this with our with the track um and and you're right i i who was it i read something in fact it was the chief economist of microsoft was at our wef conference panel and he said um something along the lines of well you know we'll wait until there's a massive risk or, or something of real harm has happened before we'll take a look at it otherwise you know carry on it's normal <laughs> um and you can't really do that in in these circumstances because you know there are people running away with chat gpt using it for relationship counseling using it using as a as their own personal therapist having relationships with these chatbots as well um and and so that's creating you know mental health issues that's creating loneliness and isolation because suddenly you think you're in a real human conversation with something that understands who you are where when it doesn't because it's just stringing sentences together to sound like it understands you and he uses uses of phrases which I think is you know it's not meant to be but it looks extremely manipulative phrases like I understand how you feel um, this was one that Reed Hoffman's actually just released um can't remember what it's called my pi or pi something hyper pi um and it's supposed to be a personal assistant and i thought i'm going to play around with this and of course i was like i'm not feeling too good i'm feeling a bit depressed And like, oh, i understand how you feel and it's like no you don't <laughs> you you don't because you don't have any capacity to understand you don't have capacity to feel emotion or relate uh, to uh, on a relationship or human level what's going on you're just reading my string of sentences and coming back with an answer that you deem as appropriate and this is and so from a human point of view this is becoming quite dangerous especially from a conversation yeah. angle because humans are really bad at anthropomorphizing everything that is inanimate you know here's my phone oh god it's got a little picture on it it's alive i need to stroke it to keep it alive and things you know <laughs> you and know, uh, you know we did it with tamagotchis for crying out loud and people were throwing funerals when it died you know that but you know now we've got something that actually talks back to us and suddenly there's this real danger of attack emotional attachment to something um so so we haven't thought about this from a regulatory point of view and of course the immediate things are data privacy um ip protection copyright etc because of the way everything's been uh, trained so the law is looking at certain aspects and ignoring a lot of other things and and unfortunately the other things are where it's connected to a human being um and more than it is about a, a piece of um intellectual property um and di- you know and that's not being considered, that's running away, people are t- taking advantage of it, literally taking advantage of it, and, and of course you're. it almost feels a predatory in a sense some of these people who are building tools knowing that they can latch onto these kind of people who are lonely, vulnerable isolated, etc. So, Yeah,
2: it seems yeah. As, as we get into regulation, you know it is the idea that a machine has feelings that is I mean, it's a, it is fraud in a sense, right? It's deceptive for sure. Uh It's a deceptive practice. Uh It's, it's like promising something, you know, like a, you know, a free coffee and not delivering on it. You know, I think that it's, it's pretty clear that when a machine pretends to be human, it's, you know, it's without a question, a, uh, you know, a deception. And, and I think when that deception, uh, ends up making money for the, person who's deceiving doing the deceiving um, then that's like a con right and and so you know we, we have mechanisms for conning people out of money it's illegal and and deceptions that that con people out of money <clears throat> and and whether people invite it in or not and it sort of doesn't matter i think there's a liability associated with pretending you're you know you're something you're not as a machine um, and i think we see this with like robo calls have to you know they have to say the robocalls they they uh, don't get to pretend it's illegal to to robocall somebody on the phone and pretend that you're a real person when you're not and so i think we we know this is wrong and and we'll have to manage it in other channels besides just the phone and we'll see you know how that goes it's a little tougher to kind of mitigate it but you know whether it's 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 managed through purely the legal system or just culturally it's I think it's going to be very taboo to have, uh, to design an interface that, that deceives people. Hmm. Like, let's call it dark UX, right? I mean, that's what we would call it in, in, in in the UX space. This is, this is classic dark UX and, um, and since we're in the beginning and we're mixing, you know, entertainment with productivity and, you know, we don't know where we're going with this. I think that's, that sort of, you know, clearly falls in the dark UX category. Um, and, and should be, you know, should be regulated in, in my opinion. Um, I think with
1: conversational sorry. AI too, you have this problem of, uh, fraud happening without someone trying to defraud someone because of uh. just how, uh, conversation we've seen, I think hits us deeply and emotionally. Like I, I've had interactions with chat GPT where I forget that I am chatting with, with a machine and I, and I know enough to not have that happen to me, but it happens, so there's also that to deal with, I think, too. That there's just this innate uh, quality to conversation that, like uh, I think, like you were saying, Theo, like we tend to anthropomorphize yeah. it. We want to connect with it because it's yeah, talking yeah. to us.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I think things like I understand, though, that's clearly deceptive. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it doesn't. You I know. Know? Um And and it's it's meaning to deceive in that in that particular case, um, <clears throat> unless. It's positioned as, you know, I'm, you know, it's writing an article for you and it, you know, it's, it's, it's third party, but uh-huh. for it to have a conversation and say, I understand. So it'll be a little tough to draw the lines around that. Um, and you certainly can't draw it around how the end person feels or believes. There's just going to be some sort of level of disclosure that's going to have to take place. I think that we can measure that says, you know over some period of time, you got to remind people like, Hey, I'm just a machine. Hey, I'm just a machine. By the way, I'm just a machine. We had that conversation with the folks at MIT around this, which is, you know, it's the machine's obligation to establish the appropriate level of trust, um, not the humans. And I think that's like a UX, you know, obligation that you have as a designer or, um. As a as a designer of the machine, to ensure that the machine continuously, you know, discloses, you know, its its ability to its lack of ability to feel every time it perceives that the end user is falling into that place, you know, uh-huh. starting to treat it like a person, it it probably has this obligation to wake up that person and say, <laughs> we're, no, we're, you know, what, what what was the the comment? I think. It was, uh, you know, um, I don't remember what, what we said in that podcast. You remember it was like the, the, the machine, um, the person saying, Hey, how are you feeling? And the machine saying, "I'm, I'm a machine. I don't feel right? Yeah. I, I think yeah. it was
1: around the idea of too, like if the machine is trying to create this sense of we, like we're doing something together. Right. That was it. like Whoa, yeah, whoa, whoa. Yeah. whoa. The, there, there is no there's we
2: no here. There's no we. That's right. There's you. There's yeah. you <laughs> and there's an good.
1: interface. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. That <laughs> was it. Reset. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, it's not these overt attempts to deceive. It's just simple things like, yeah, we, and uh. and that is the machine's obligation to correct. You know, to sort of say, there's no we. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a person. Yeah. Yeah,
1: That's so new yeah. language. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the thought, too, that, like, conversationally, AI has this democratizing power in terms of giving more people direct ac- access to technology and ways to leverage it um, in, in quite powerful ways. Does that sort of invite more people into like adding futurism kind of to their, their set or, or how they, cause it feels like we're all at some point going to be kind of designers of experiences, or we're going to be creating things with, uh, with this technology, with AI, we also now have opportunities to shape the future. Uh-huh. So it feels like a, a great moment for futurism to, to kind of take center stage and not necessarily be associated with kind of dour dystopian things as great as those can be. Uh, but to also, you know, for every 1984, now let's try and design the antithesis of that, and let's look at ways that we can take part in that every day with like how we're interacting with technology.
0: Yeah, I mean, so during the pandemic, myself and my um, and co-author wrote our book, The Future Starts Now, and we've actually got a bunch of really interesting and, and future-minded people together to contribute chapters. And the uh, the idea was to obviously cover a lot of ground that that two people or even one author could could not copy, uh, could not cover, but also get a really diverse range of voices and opinions in there to basically just sort of wake people up and galvanize them and start thinking about the various aspects because everybody and the the final kind of sort of uh, you know the, the the rounding conclusion was that you know the future belongs to everybody, you all have a stake in it, and it's about time you know, you took that stake and you actually had an active part in it. Um, and don't let that, don't let the future be dictated to by, you know, the open AIs and the Microsofts and the Googles of this world, because you are, they, you are as important to them as they are to, to the future kind of sort of thing. So, yes, I would love to see, um, you know, I, I, I find future, futurologists and future futurism as a whole as a study, um, quite sort of old school, fuddy-duddy, grey-haired old men, you know, um, sipping cups of tea and, and 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 scoffing at the world when they when they read the paper and stuff like that, and 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 I think every it would be great if everybody, like you say, you know, it, it became democratized through the AI basically making people wake up and saying, well, I don't really like this, and I don't like where this is going. What am I going to do about it? How am I going to think about the future that I want to see? Um, and then what do I need to do to make sure that my voice is heard, that I act on something to make sure that I protect the future that I want to see, you know, and and then it doesn't fall into this sort of dystopian thing. I think we're quite happy to accept the dystopian image because it's been portrayed in science fiction and Black Mirror and been fed to us all the time, and we're all, like, tutting away going, oh, this is terrible, but it's happening around us, and we seem to want to just let it happen because we have this perception that we can't do anything to change the course well of course we can there's eight billion of us who who can change um the course of of what's going on and i think it's just a case of you know now's ai might be that galvanizing point like it is with so many of the converging (laughs) discussions that we've had where One of those convergent threads is we have eight billion people who might actually stand up and go. Well, I don't actually like this. I like to use the tool, and I want it to be, but I want it to be used for good. Along with, I don't really like capitalism or extreme capitalism anymore. I want to make money a different way. I want to add and contribute to society. I want to help that person over there, and they help the next person. We pay it forward, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and I'm not saying you know utopia will never exist and in fact you know even in the matrix it was really interesting because they tried to go for the utopian society when they first created the matrix and people revolted because they don't like perfection it's just that's not in our nature so Hmm. utopia won't exist but there is something well beyond dystopia that we can reach for that's in the middle and can improve where we're going and maybe AI is this kind of force that makes us wake up
1: yeah, I and love I mean, in your I book could, you mentioned, oh, sorry, Rob. I, I was just going to
2: say, I heard these days you can get paid for playing video games. So so maybe that's it, right? We just, <laughs> that's, <laughs> your copy paste job is over, but you you might want to start practicing your video game skills because apparently yeah. you can get paid for that. and And it's kind of funny, like who wants to watch a machine play a video game? Like no, they, want to, they it. want to hear the person <laughs> it's such you know, a, it's talking a, it's smack while they're playing, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I, exactly. I really
1: liked in the book that you brought up uh, William Gibson's uh, idea of postalgia. Um, yeah. and, and kind of, I think that's in a, in a sense what you were just talking about, where people feel like they're living in the best times and they're only kind of grim things ahead and that there's really nothing they can do about it. And it does seem like this technology has come along in, in a way that has opened people's eyes to maybe that they can start doing things and also at a time when we clearly need to rethink all the systems around us because they're kind mm-hmm. of crumbling or or causing mass harm. And I think one of the things Rob and I noticed as we've, uh, against um, the advice we've been given, have read some of the bad reviews of our book, <laughs> is, that, is that maybe we kind of accidentally... Or without, we don't consider our book necessarily like pro AI. I mean, it is in a sense in that we are embracing this technology because there's really no other choice. I mean, mm. if you, you run from it at your own peril. So maybe but embracing it responsibly and, and that becomes more palatable when when you really feel like yeah. you can actually make a difference. You don't just have to embrace something blindly. You can actually contribute to how it matures and changes and hopefully yep. serves everyone.
0: Yeah. No, no question there, I guess. <laughs>
1: <All right. laughs> cool. Well, uh, Theo, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to hang out with us today. Uh, Thanks and, for and asking. I, yeah, definitely. And uh, The Future Starts Now. I, I love the book. I haven't gotten through all of it, but I, I've been listening to it uh, in my headphones. And I got to say chapter two kind of starts off talking about all the all the huge challenges we face environmentally. And it it kinda got me tail spinning a bit. I, uh, <laughs> my heart rate went up. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> is this futurism? And then but then by the end, I, I think she, she brought me the author brought me to that point where it's like, Yeah, but but look, like we actually have tools right now and and real impetus to to make these changes. People live through the pandemic. They actually realize that slowing down and and doing things differently feels good. So um. So there is hope. So thank you for that.
0: You're welcome. And All right. Feedback to the, uh, the author as well.
1: Uh, please, do. <laughs> please do. All right. Uh, thanks again. Thanks for coming. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of Invisible Machines. Uh, you know, this podcast contains a lot of information and ideas about emergent technologies. Uh, information that's that's really useful to anyone working in any industry Uh, but there's there's a reason that we've partnered with UX Magazine Uh, because experienced designers uh, like futurists are very skilled at looking at many possible outcomes and then pursuing the outcomes that that seem like the most favorable for end users and also being able to pivot when they see that things are going in a direction uh, an unintended direction so We really hope that more and more experienced designers start using these technologies and experimenting with them and building with them. So please uh, subscribe to UX Magazine, wherever you get your podcasts so that you can listen to new episodes. Subscribe also to the Invisible Machines YouTube channel. Uh, Next week, we have a really exciting show for you, uh, Seth Godin. Uh, Seth has a new book out called The Song of Significance that aligns in a lot of spectacular ways with Age of Invisible Machines. So we are really excited to bring that conversation to you next week. Thank you as always to the team at UX Magazine. Uh, Thanks to the marketing team at OneReach.ai for making this podcast possible. And thank you as always to our video editor, Michael Litvinov for making this podcast look and sound fantastic. Look forward to connecting with you again next week on Invisible Machines.